Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin, and I want to welcome you to another episode, number 155. And as I say that, I did the math. 156 is three years of this. So it's truly amazing to reflect on the fact that we've been doing this every week for almost three years now. Soon it will be three years. Wow. So I want to take a moment and do three things. One, to say thanks to you for listening and responding, because without you listening or responding, there'd be no point in doing this podcast. I remember a time about one year in when I was flustered and discouraged, not really sure, you know, just looking for the magic. And on that one day, two people reached out. One was Dick Gurley that sent me the cadet's prayer and encouraged me to pursue the harder right than the easier wrong. And then another gentleman tweeted, never heard from him since, didn't know that at the time, but thanked me for the podcast and how it inspired and encouraged him at that point, a low point in his life. Those kinds of things just keep me going. So thank you to you. And I had no idea when we started of the power of podcasting for creating community and connection the way this podcast has done and continues to do. And that's because of you. Number two, I want to thank the amazing team at One Stone Creative who have partnered with me from day one and episode one to make the magic happen week after week after week, month after month, and now three years. Megan, Audra, Irwin, you are and have been remarkable partners in this endeavor and it wouldn't happen without you. So thanks for making the magic happen. And three, to highlight this podcast as an example of what happens through collaboration and commitment and persistence. People often ask a remark and say something like, I don't know how you do it, you know, week after week. And I'll tell you, here's how you do it. One episode at a time, one week, one step at a time. And the same applies to you. So just imagine what happens when you take one step and then the next step, And even when you stumble, you pick yourself up and take the next step. And oh, the biggie is don't do it alone. Surround yourself with amazing people and see what you can accomplish together. So that just is remarkable. Earlier this week, I was on a call with my friend Steve Foran from Canada, and we were reflecting that it was a year ago when we launched our first gratitude challenge together and how that led both of us to discover the truth of better together. And this podcast is one of those things that's better together. Now about today's episode, I'm thrilled to have Lucas Scrobot join me. You know, I'm always open and eager to meeting new like-hearted people. And Lucas is one of those recent ones. He shares a bit about that in the conversation. So I'm gonna let him tell how we connected. This is one of those conversations where we simply jumped in followed the thread to see where it goes. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Here we go. 
What fun it is to welcome you, Lucas Scrobot, to the Higher Purpose Podcast. And you're joining from outside Dubai. I think you're the first guest we've had to join from that region of the world. Well, I am certainly very, very glad to be here. And I'm just as excited as you are to be on your show. Well, Lewis, let's talk about this a moment because this is our second time connecting for a podcast conversation today. Now, this is the first time you're on my show. So what does that mean? And how does that work to folks that are scratching their head? This is your second time today. Yeah, so you came on my show earlier today, and now I'm on your show. And so if you want to hear what Kevin talked about, and it was deep, it was heavy, it was impactful, you will have to go over to my show and with the link is, of course, in the show notes to listen to it. But then, man, I'm excited to be able to share with you and your audience some of the things that are burning on my heart. So I probably in some ways, we'll be even referencing things from our previous conversation. Absolutely. And so, folks, I want to encourage you to find that show. You'll be able to hear this show before the one with Lucas airs. But Find this one, and then when the one with Lucas airs, I'll share that with you. We'll promote it through social media so you can go hear that. Well, Lucas, I know because you've studied the podcast a little bit, you know what's coming next. And I've got to say this, you turned the tables on me, and you asked me this question when I was on your show. So you know what I'm grateful for today, but Lucas, I am eager to hear What is it that you are grateful for in this moment now that we're connecting? I did some snooping around in your podcast, so I knew that this was coming. So I've been thinking about this question all day. And as I've been pondering this in my heart, a story came to my mind of something that that happened to me yesterday that happened with our family yesterday. And so I'm going to share what I'm grateful for today by sharing the story of what happened yesterday afternoon. So yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. So normally around, this is around five o'clock, everyone has just woken up from their naps. And all of a sudden I hear the doorbell ring three times. Now that is extremely rude, right? In the States to just ring a doorbell three times. And, but it's not too uncommon here. But I'm like, I don't know who would even be coming over right now. No one's really going to be visiting at this hour. There's COVID, there's lockdown. You're not supposed to be going around and visiting. So I'm like, that's weird. So I start to mosey on. And now we have this outside gate or wall. So they're ringing the outside gate. So as I'm walking out, all of a sudden I hear this frantic knocking at our gate. And I'm like, I mean, come on, people. Like, you can just be a little patient. I'm coming. Like, it's no big deal. But this knocking just continues and continues and continues. So I get to the door and I open the door. and there is this lady Mm. with this frantic look on her face and she comes to me and she says like, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? She left the house two hours ago. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. Mm. Slow down. You can't find your daughter. She's like, yes, I can't find my daughter. You know, this is all in Arabic. And normally in the town that we live in, it's much more conservative. So normally when women are outside of the house, They're not even showing their face. They're not even showing their eyes. Oftentimes, they're pulling the veil over their entire face. But here she is Mm. on the side of the street, openly talking 
to me as a man with her face showing. I'm like, this is very strange. She's panicked. Her eyes are filled with tears. And she's saying, have you seen my daughter? She left the house two hours ago. And I can't find her. We can't find her. Her husband's driving up and down. Here's this woman going door to door, frantically, frantically searching for her daughter. So I take her number. I'm like, I'll, I'll ask my WhatsApp groups that I'm in. I get her name. I get a picture of her daughter. And she goes, and I don't really know what I can even do. I mean, I guess I'll get in the car and try to go help look. So I get in the car. I drive around a little bit. and trying to look for help this poor woman and their family as they're frantically searching for their daughter. And praise God, a couple hours later, I don't hear back, but I send her a message like, have you found your daughter? We've been praying. We've been looking. Is there any news? And she's like, yes, thankfully, like we found her. She was at the neighbor's house. Like everything's okay. And I was like, I was so relieved having this long, lengthy conversation with our kids about kidnappers, about what could happen and how we need to have faith and hope in the situation and pray for the situation. But today I was thinking that I'm so grateful for the health and the safety of my family, that I'm so grateful that, you know, I have four boys aged 10 months to seven years old, and I'm just so grateful and thankful for their protection, for our family's health, that yeah, I mean, that, that worst nightmare that parents experience that we've been protected and guarded from that. And so that's what I'm thankful for. Just that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that we are taken care of even in the midst of crazy times right now that there is God who's watching out for us and taking care of us. So Lucas, thanks for sharing the story. And I am convinced that as a father of four, that is really fresh gratitude today. Mm. Well, let me ask it this way. What happened in your thoughts, your heart? Because you're wondering, why is this person so frantic? I imagine mm -hmm. the moment she said, my daughter's lost, something happened in you. Yeah, as I, everything happens in those moments so quickly. But of course you go to, at least in my mind, I went to the worst case scenario, but I'm like, okay, let's pull it back from the worst case scenario. Where's your house? Where do you live? What's her name? And just praying. It's like in those situations, I just felt so helpless. You also had immense empathy. Immense yes. empathy. Just a few minutes before you're wondering, who is this pounding at my door and why are they so insistent? Mm -hmm. And almost thinking it's rude, but suddenly, the moment she said that, I know you have deep compassion, and that just shifted for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. My attitude went from like, okay, here we go. And I opened the door. I see the lady. I'm like, okay, she's probably just wanting some money because in our town mm -hmm. and in the culture, it's normal to go and ask for money if you're poor or destitute, you don't have some finances. So they're like, okay, here we go. I 
probably know what's going to happen. And I was very surprised. And like you said, just immense empathy. I think one of, you know, I hate hospitals and I hate hospitals because I often feel so powerless when I am in a hospital. One of my worst fears as a father is that something would happen to my child where I am totally rendered helpless and powerless to to help or to save them or to protect them. I think the movies that affect me the most psychologically are ones where there's something happening to a child or in the earth, like a plague or just some catastrophic event. And as a parent, you're left completely powerless and helpless. And so there's two realities that I think of. One reality is like that is every day, every day, we are on the precipice of complete disaster and shipwreck and pain in our life. While at the same time, there is one who is watching over our every step. And it's this place of surrendering, this place of surrendering to the knowledge that I am not in control, but there is one who is control. And I think I'm a Christian, I'm a believer myself, and I'm, I'm an American. I love these principles of free will and agency. On my podcast, I talk about all the time that we are agents of change in the world, that we have the power to affect change in the world around us. But one thing that I definitely love about Islamic culture is their dependency, almost to a fault at times, but their dependency on this idea that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign over the earth, and he will do what he wills, whether it's for good or for bad. And when I bring that tension back into our Christian faith, I find a lot of peace in that, of realizing that I am man and that God is sovereign, but he is a father. He is one that goes out and frantically searches for his sons and daughters who have lost their way. And he went out and frantically searched for me when I lost my way. And he is the one that looks over my children. And, and there's just something to that place of surrender, of knowing that Mm. we're not in control and that's okay. Mm. Okay. So Lucas, there's an interesting thought swirling in my mind that I want to see if you're willing to explore here. Mm. And that is this idea. Okay. You and I've had this conversation a bit earlier on your podcast talking about what some people would look at as mundane moments of life, ordinary events have this opportunity to be so much more than in a mundane moment or an ordinary event. And so yesterday, so fresh, yesterday, this encounter with this woman who's frantically searching for her daughter. And I'm hoping there are not too many people that would just turn a deaf ear to that, but I do know. There are some people in the world that would just go, gosh, I'm sorry, that's your problem. 
but instead you entered into that. What can I do to help? And you just said you didn't like hospitals. But I know I heard you share a story coming home from a hospital. Mm-hmm. The event was a bit extraordinary. You helped me understand because those kind of storms don't happen in your part of the world. Here in the States, that kind of event would be a regular event this time of year. But there was something how this, are you willing to share that story and talk about how you stepped into something quite extraordinary by just responding to what seemed to be an ordinary opportunity? Yeah. So the story is our third son, his name is Amos, was born and he's born here in the United Arab Emirates and in December. And as you mentioned, in the States, rainstorms, big rainstorms are quite common. But here, they're not very common at all. You'll get them maybe a few times a year. But this particular storm was so big that the roads were flooded, the highways were flooded, houses were just ruined, because the houses really aren't built for rain here. So whenever we have a rainstorm, water comes in the windows. And our house now, it, the roof isn't sealed very well. So water will start coming through the cinder block. And so we have to get up on top of the roof and scrape the water off. You know, it's just not built for rain. We just get it so rarely. And so we're driving home from the hospital. We have our brand new baby in the car. And as we're driving home, we pass a scene on the road. And the scene on the road is there's this pickup truck that has crossed the median. Like now in America, we know how to drive in rain. We know how to drive in snow. Here, when it rains, it's like, man, you don't know what to expect. People don't know how to drive in rain for some reason. I don't know. But this truck had gone across the median and had slammed into a palm tree. And as I pass the scene, I see a large group of men around this man as he's laying on the asphalt. And I instantly just, I pull over to the side of the road, put our car in park. And I say, one minute, babe, I'll be right back. I jump out of the car and I run over to the scene just you know, to try to help in some way. And as I get there, of course, they're asking, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? I'm like, no, but I know first aid. And here's the scene, this probably a Pakistani man, maybe Bengali. He's on the side of the road. He probably wasn't wearing a seatbelt. It doesn't look like he was ejected through the window, but at least probably has internal bleeding from hitting his chest against the steering wheel and they have him on the asphalt they're trying to pick him up and move him they're trying to give him water i'm like just don't move him just leave him don't move him don't move him and i come down next to him i hold his hand and i'm like trying to hold his head still you know just the basic things in first aid he's still breathing he's trying to sit up he's in shock and all i can think is like i'm just gonna pray like you live and not die, you will live and not die, you will live and not die. You know, it says that in our tongue is the power of life and death. So I'm just speaking and declaring life 
over this man. And as I do, his body starts convulsing, his eyes roll back in his head, and then he goes limp. Hmm. And in this moment, I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, I think he might have just had a heart attack and died. So I check his pulse, no pulse. I check his pulse again, no pulse. I'm like, okay, well, I hope I remember CPR well enough to actually perform CPR. And all this time, I'm still praying, still declaring life over him. Like, you will live and not die. In Jesus' name, you will live and not die. And I'm like, okay, well, this is it. Like, I better perform CPR on him. And just as I'm about to start, I look over and here comes an ambulance. I'm like, oh, because I didn't want to mess this one up. I'm like, there's an EMT, someone who's trained and knows what they're doing. This isn't going to be on me. Like, so thankful. The EMT comes up and like, he just passed away. Looks like he had a heart attack and passed away. I still am kneeling down there on the asphalt, holding his hand. The EMT comes in three pumps of his hands. And all of a sudden, the man takes a breath and he opens his eyes. Mm. I sat there for a moment longer with him. And then I realized, well, there's nothing more that I can do in this situation. So I got back up and I went to the car and got back in the car. My wife's like, what happened? Like, are you okay? And here I'm like, white as a sheet and laughing, crying, I have to pull over on the side of the road a couple times on the way home just because of the shock that I'm in. Going back to your question about these mundane moments, it reminded me of the fact that life is full of mundane moments, but they're also full of divine appointments. So these like, as if you have an appointment book, a calendar, and as you look at it, you have maybe 15, 25, or maybe one appointment in your day that you didn't plan, but it's been planned for you. And just like this Zoom call, this interview, I could have chosen to ignore our appointment and gone on with what I was doing. I could have could have said, you know what? I have a brand new baby in the back of my car. And my wife that just gave birth less than 48 hours ago, I probably should just keep driving. The responsible thing to do is to get your wife and baby home. I mean, that is a line you could easily hear. It, that would be the responsible and reasonable thing to do. You know, you got to take care of your family first, right? And I could have done that. And maybe the man would have still lived, but most likely he would have been tried to move him. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Who knows? But there's these divine, these moments. Moments. And when I was talking to, on another podcast, telling this story, and my friend asked me, he was like, so do you feel like it was fate? Like it was destined, that you were destined to be there in that moment, that it was fate. I was like, mm, I'm not quite sure I would put it as fate because I had a choice. I had free will and I had agency, right? In that moment, that there's this tension between what was the opportunity, the appointment that could be and your decision and action to take it. And this is where I find fatalism can be fatal or hope or faith can be fatal where we are passive, we are slothful in our hope and in our faith. And we just expect that it will happen. Well, if, if this is meant to be, it will just magically manifest. But 
I had to step into that moment. And so I told my friend, I'm like, no, it's not, it wasn't fake that I was there to hold his hand, but it was a divine appointment. Mm. It wasn't always going to happen. I had a choice. I could have kept on driving or I could have done what I'd done and stepped out of the car mm. and stepped down onto the asphalt to the side of the road to sit with this man and hold him in these moments of his life. Well, thanks for sharing that story, Lucas. And I want to ask you, what kind of reflection did that prompt? First off, there's this big contrast, right? Newborn baby in your car. Here's a man who, in the moments you were with him, actually lost life and then life returned. What kind of reflections did that? I mean, I can see that that kind of lingers with you for a long time. (laughs) Maybe not as strong, but the next few days. I mean, that's a very surreal encounter. Yeah, for probably a week, maybe two weeks, it was heavy in my heart. I tried to find which hospital he was taken to. I wasn't able to locate him or the hospital. But I definitely reflected on it a lot. And in that, as you said, it wasn't just that, oh my goodness, a guy died in my arms and then was resuscitated. It wasn't even just that, but it was on top of the layers of my third son was new life just came into the world in the midst of the death in the world, in the midst of the symbolism of brain, which we really don't get, which invokes to me rebirth and new life. And here's a man that is losing his life and coming back to life. For sure, I reflected on it a lot. And it was very emotional. It's Having a child is always an emotional thing. You know, you have lots of big emotions on the back end of it. And those big emotions were then also coupled with just this shock of this incident that happened, it made me think that the fragility of life and the blessing that we have, that we are alive, the blessing of life, the beauty of life, the beauty of birth and rebirth, second chances. And I think it just put me in touch with just the awe and gratitude that I have, going back to gratitude, right? Going back to this gratitude that I have been given breath Mm. and the value of every individual in front of me. You you know, even thinking, I remember the days afterwards thinking at one point he was a little child in his mother's arms too. At one point he was the age of my, you know, at at that point, I guess it would have been five-year-old running around. Like at one point he was that child, and now here he is almost facing the end of his life. And just the, the immense value that he has as an individual, wherever he is today. Okay, so you took it back to gratitude. And even before you did that, I was thinking over the last four months, we're now in month five of this global pandemic, how many more times the word health comes up when I ask people what they're grateful for. Mm. So I do this a lot. I host meetings every week, and we always use this tool, Mentimeter, where people can respond and it populates a word cloud. 
And over the last four months, the word health appears in those clouds more than it ever did before, right? Because mm. we're so mindful. We're so mindful of the fragility of life and how things happen. And so we're grateful for health. We're grateful for health. So, Lucas, this is a very unique conversation. You've heard a few of mine that I host. And often I'm engaging with people who've written books and I've read their book and I've got their book in front of me and I know exactly the things I want to talk about. What do you want to talk about next in our conversation today? What's on your heart, man? I'm really glad that you asked, Kevin, because what I want to talk about next is actually tied to what we have been talking about, which is starting with the story of this woman who knocked on my door yesterday. Hmm. And there's a study. I don't have the study in front of me. I need to look it up. I'll send it to you so that you can put it in the show notes. But there is a study that was done with rats on motivators. And so they had this maze. And at one part of the maze, they had cheese. So the rat can smell the cheese. And they found that when they put the rat in this maze and they can smell the cheese, they have a goal that's set in front of them. That's a strong motivator to cause the rat to run towards the goal, to run towards the cheese. And at the same time, then they did another experiment. And they said, well, what would happen if fear was a motivator? Let's put the scent of a cat behind it. Mm. And then they watch to see how fast the rat ran away. Mm. So the goal that the rat is running towards in the first experiment, the fear Mm. that the rat is running from in the second experiment. And then they said, well, wait a minute. Let's do a third experiment. What would happen if we had the cheese and the cat at the same time? So, There is fear that both are present. Both are present. Scenario one, only pleasure or gain is present. Yep. Scenario two, panic or pain fleeing is present. Scenario three, both are there. Scenario three, both. I bet you'll never guess which one the rat ran the fastest in. I wish I didn't know the answer, but I am going to guess because I would like to believe the rat, just like people, would be more drawn towards gain in life. But I've been told over and over and over that people are more prone to eliminate pain in life than to Mm -hmm. activate gain. Is this what happened with the rat in this experiment? Well, yes, but then what was most, I think, insightful is that it was in the third option where there is both running away from pain and running towards a goal that the rat was the most motivated and ran the fastest. And the reason that I bring this up is because I've been thinking about fear a lot recently. Even in our earlier conversation that we had, we talked about Uh, You mentioned that there's that model where fear produces anxiety, anxiety. Poor choices, poor choices, negative outcomes, the scarcity loop. Yeah. Scarcity loop. So I've been thinking about that. I'm like, totally, totally on board. I totally see it. 
But then I was thinking about this woman yesterday mm. and I looked in her eyes. Mm. There was fear. As we all say, it's a parent's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. As I was sitting at the dinner table yesterday with my boys sharing about this, there was fear in my heart. There's big emotions in my heart. There's fear present. And I thought, okay, well, what was driving and motivating her? Was it just fear? Was she running out of fear? Normally, there's that fight or flight. But normally, we also talk about fear as being paralyzing. We talk about fear producing that anxiety, which produces bad choices, which may have negative outcomes. But she is knocking on every door trying to find her daughter. And I realized it's because there wasn't just fear at play. There was fear. And that fear was such a driving motivator that she was willing to make a fool of herself. She was willing to be shamed. She was willing to ignore customs, right? And culture. Yes. She was willing to throw everything to the side because that fear was driving her. But it wasn't just fear that was driving her. Mm. There was hope. There was love. It was the love for her daughter, the, the striving for the goal of where is my daughter? Where is she? I need to find her. She is the most precious thing in my life. Where is she? And so I've been thinking about how both of those things are present. That when we look across, whether it's with the pandemic across the globe, or whether we look with these cultural revolutions that are sweeping the globe, that there are two things at play. There is fear. But if we only stop at fear, it could lead to paralysis. It could lead to this fatalistic thinking, this fatalistic ideology of like, well, I'm afraid. I hope this will sort itself out. I hope that someone else will take care of it. And we can sit back in fear. And we often talk about I've heard, you know, fear is the opposite of faith. You know, you need to have faith. You don't need to be in fear. But I've also heard fear is just faith that is put into negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. When we are in fear, we're believing, we have our faith placed that negative outcomes will happen. Whereas faith, we're putting our belief that positive outcomes will happen. But notice in this woman, she had both at play. She had fear that the negative outcome was going to happen, which then drove her to take action. It drove her to take action to see the positive result happen, even if it cost her everything, even if it cost her her honor and her dignity, which in these cultures, it's the most important thing, saving face. Yeah. And so in this time, you know, whatever the issue is, we can draw back in fear, or we can step forward in fear towards a goal, whether it's saving our business, whether it's standing up for truth and righteousness, whether it's saying what we believe, saying what we think, and not bending our knee to fear and self-censorship. Because if we draw back in fear and say, well, my business will take care of itself. Well, will it? Hmm. Or are there going to be massive consequences come February. We can draw back in fear of saying, well, I'm just going to self-censor because these issues in culture, and you talk about culture a lot, these issues in culture, I'm just going to not engage with culture around me 
uh, I don't want to get in trouble. It's going to sort itself out. Hmm. But we can fall prey to this passivity. We can fall prey to fatalistic thinking, thinking that it'll sort itself out. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people across history who said, well, that's going to sort itself out. And then they were sent to a gulag. And then they were sent to a gas chamber. And then famine struck. And then a bubonic plague happened. So we can sit back in fear or we can have both at play. We can have a goal that is set in front of us saying, you know what? I believe that we can make a difference. I believe I can save my business. I believe I can be an agent of change in my family and in culture around me. I'm going to step into that culture despite of my fear that is paralyzing me. I'm going to step into the issues of the day, even though, man, it might cost me my business. It might cost me my job. But I'm going to step in and be someone that shapes culture, someone that adds value to people's lives around me, even when, man, all I want to do is contract and make sure that my business makes it through this season. When we maybe don't realize that that contraction is the very thing that will kill our business. It's the very thing that could kill our culture by contracting in a time of uncertainty, in a time of fear, rather than having both at play, having that goal of saying, you know what? I see a better tomorrow. I see a better future and it's going to cost me something to step out and make it happen. Lucas, I appreciate you sharing this. I want to ask something because as I was listening, I was just taking it in. Are you familiar with the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? No. Great psychiatrist? Yeah, I believe Kubler-Ross was a psychiatrist. Wrote some classic books on death and dying. And she worked with people at end of life and had all of these conversations and wrote beautiful reflections on death and dying. And what I didn't understand when I first read the book, because I just heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross for years. Well, she's the person that postulated the five stages of grief. Mm. So that's Kubler-Ross. But she had also talked about there are only two primary emotions, fear mm. and love, two primary emotions. And often I hear people reference her work and then ask the question, or what's it like when you're motivated by fear? And what would it be like if you were motivated by love? Mm -hmm. Making it a binary choice. And what you just told and helped me see quite vividly through this story is we often try to make these binary choices when both are present at the same time. Precisely. It's not fear or love as though we can just shut off fear and, oh, I'm just going to love today. I want to be more love and shut off fear. But it's fear and love. And it's love causing you to not allow fear to paralyze you. Even though the fear is there, the love is compelling you to take action. And in the case of this mother from yesterday, to risk all of the convention that she just forget it. Doesn't matter. My daughter's more important. Finding my daughter. Wow. Mm. How does that resonate with you? That this fear and love present at the same time. I love it. 
because I think that we have to realize that something is always at stake, Mm. right? So I like that either or. It's like, well, what's the alternative? It's like when we realize that something is at stake, like if we don't act, that's propelling us away from the negative outcome, you know, sitting and thinking like, okay, if I don't take action in my life, and I just let my habits grow and grow and grow and spiral into this negative precipice, like how deep is that well? How mm. much darkness could I fall into and how quickly? Mm. You know, what would my life look like if I just started to make bad decisions? Mm. When I do that exercise, man, it gets real dark real fast. <laughs> I mean, it gets real dark real fast. Yeah, yeah. That is a helpful motivator of realizing if I don't act, there are consequences. My inaction is action, and there's consequences. And at the same time, we do need to be motivated by love towards the goal. Because if only fear were to drive me, if only fear were to drive me, then I'm making decisions out of fear. I'm making rash decisions. And I even thought about this mom, and you know. I'm assuming, you know, she's texting all of her WhatsApp groups. But the daughter was at the neighbor's house the whole time. Mm. Mm. So I was even thinking like, okay, I, she probably for sure texted everyone that she knew. But at the same time, she's being driven both by fear and love to do whatever she has to do to find her daughter. While at the same time, there is some irrationality to be just going knocking on every door rather than checking the most likely places that she is. So if there's only fear that's driving us, we're going to be reactionary in nature. We're just going to be reacting to everything that's happening rather than having a vision of love and hope and faith of a better future that is set before us to also drive and motivate us so that we are in that positive, abundant mindset, believing that there are good things in store for us so that our strategy is built both on, okay, these are really bad things that we need to protect and safeguard ourselves from. Like these totalitarian ideologies that can show up in groups of two, four, 10, or 1 billion people. It doesn't matter the size of the group for a totalitarian state or totalitarian cult, but these ideologies that are embedded into it of complete control and censorship well, we don't want that in our organization. We need to be aware of that. We need to be mindful of that so we don't bake that culture into the group that we're creating. Okay, that we need to be propelled away from that in fear, but what are we going to be propelled towards? Okay, well, we have this hope and vision of where we want to go of love that's going to drive our decision-making, drive our conversation, drive our communication so that when we're interacting with those or interacting with opponents or proponents around us, we're not reacting out of fear and essentially becoming the very monster. I think it was, I don't know, was it E.E. Cummings that said that? Be careful that you don't become the very monster that you seek to defeat. And so we have to then act in love so that we don't become the very thing that we fear. So let's draw this home as we bring this conversation to a close here. And for people around the world 
that around the world, we're all faced with uncertainty, perhaps mm. more than any other time in our life. And a lot of people are paralyzed by fear. And a lot of people have been immobilized by fear. But for people that are just, what do I do with this now, Lucas? And I want to emphasize that because as I've pondered so many of the questions lately, there's a question a lot of people have a lot of fun with and spend a lot of time in media. And that's what should you do and what should they do? But there's only one question that I know that's really helpful to people right now. I love it. What can I do? Not what should you do, but what will I do? What can I do? So let's conclude by making this very personal for those joining us. Yeah, I think that's right. It's always bringing it home to what can I do, right? Or what am I doing? And it's true. So many of us across the globe, we are united in this pandemic. It's just really, really strange more than any other time in history because of the global connected culture through travel, through transportation, through media, through the internet. Just like right now that we're talking and right now you're listening to the sound of my voice wherever you are, probably driving in a car, hopefully, going to work. That'd be pretty nice <laughs> that you're out and being able right. to work. That thing of paralysis, that thing of fear, it's going back to what you were talking about, love and fear, is that perfect love casts out fear. That perfect love casts out fear. And we need to... So I talk about this when it comes to these ideas of identity and purpose. And most of the young people that I talk to, they are searching so hard for identity. They are desperate, desperate to know who am I? And what's my purpose? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And the issue that I have come to realize in the past year or two is that people are so inward focused in trying to find the answers to who they are mm -hmm. rather than being outward focused to find what truth is. And I believe that the reason that people search so hard for identity and for purpose is because really they're searching for freedom. And within a culture where we have freedom and we have liberty on the outside, we don't feel it on the inside. We say, okay, something must be wrong. I need to figure out who am I mm -hmm. because I want to feel, I need to feel free. And we think if I can only figure out the meaning of life, who I am, my purpose, my identity, my destiny, then I will feel it. Then I'll have that success. Then I'll have that moment. But we're so inward focused. And likewise with fear, we're so inward focused and paralyzed rather than looking outward and saying, what is truth? Because it is truth that sets us into freedom. It is truth that sets us free. And the truth is love. The truth is that you are loved, that you are not alone, that you are loved. And that love casts out fear. And that enables us to step into and know and live and walk in. It's not just knowing. I think you've mentioned that, that there's this gap between, and you talk about this on your podcast, there's a gap between what we know and what we're able to actually execute on. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not just knowing the, the quote unquote facts about truth or empirical data, but it's walking in truth that brings us into 
freedom. And that breaks the back and the binds of fear over our lives that we might step into our future, that we might step into the present, that we might be aware to see other people around us and give something to them, even if it's small. In closing, I know we're out of time. I often think and I often talk about who is the most significant individual, the biggest change maker, the biggest difference maker, who is like the greatest of them all. And it's moms. Mm. It's the ones that are working in the shadows, not hiding in the shadows, working in the shadows that are having such a profound impact on the ones and the twos, on their sons and their daughters pouring into them. And so you don't need to have a platform to make a difference. You don't need to have a platform to make some sort of monumental dent in the universe. You just have to love the people that are right in front of you. Mm. Love the people right in front of you. Mm. All of us, all of us have that opportunity, Lucas. Mm. There's somebody, it's amazing to go back to this, who's crossing your path today? Yesterday, it was a frantic mom. A couple of years ago, it was this struggling man on the side of the road, victim of an accident. But then there are all these other people. Those are two that you are really heightened awareness of. But somebody's always crossing our path. And there's Mm. always, always an opportunity to love the person in front of us now. And choosing love over fear. I love that as a call to action. Lucas, for people that want to get in touch with you, take another step, learn more, listen, where do we point them, Lucas? You can find me at my show, at my podcast, The Lucas Scrobot Show, anywhere and everywhere podcasts are found. Or you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I love hearing from you. I would love just a message. I read every message. I respond to every message. Or obviously on Instagram or LinkedIn. All right, Lucas, thanks for joining. This has been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I love that the work that you're doing and just inspired. When I saw your podcast, I was inspired. I'm like, my doppelganger, like if he's doing it, I can do it too. Like we're in this together. I'm inspired by your work. I'm inspired by your your community and your commitment to individuals, your commitment to love the person in front of you today. And that's noble and that's worthy. And I love it. Well, thanks again. Oh, Lucas, thanks again for joining. Now, you listening, I hope you found some juicy morsels in this conversation. I certainly did. Here are a couple of those. One is this idea of moments, those little invitations and opportunities that are easy to overlook and miss, and yet they can be so magical if or when we see it and step into it. So you can't seize the moment unless you first see the moment. Let me say that again, because that's something I've been reflecting on. You can't seize the moment unless you first see the moment. So open your eyes and see the invitations for moments around you. 
moments lead to momentum in life, work, business, family, all kinds of ways. Moments lead to momentum. And another thought is I've often contrasted, I've thought a lot about the contrast between fear or love, right? Building on the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, there are only two primary emotions, fear or love. Lucas and I talked about that. But Lucas provoked me to not think of fear or love solely as binary choices. It's not always binary. It's not one or the other. Sometimes it's both love and fear. Love inspires us or compels us to take action anyway and move through fear, move in fear, move because of fear. So it's not always fear or love. Sometimes it's actually fear and love. And what might that produce in your life the next time you're feeling fear is what's that bigger love that moves you anyway? The other idea that lingers for me is embedded in and through this whole conversation and all the things that led up to the conversation, it's part of how this conversation happened. Being open to people and opportunities that cross your path. And it's where we ended our conversation, my conversation with Lucas. Love the people who cross your path today. There's a reason your path and their paths intersect today. The people right in front of you who cross your path in person or online in today's world. And remember, this is especially true now. Everybody you meet is encountering some kind of challenge, facing some kind of fear or fighting a battle that you may never know or see. And your words of kindness and encouragement, your deeds of love in action may have greater impact than you ever realize and possibly more than you can even imagine. So in a world where you can choose to be anything, choose to be kind and show love. Hey, before we go, you know my door is always open to you. You can email me, Kevin, at higherpurposepodcast.com. You can call or text me, 404-713-0713. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for making a difference for the people around you, the people in your life and in your world. Our world needs you, your light, and your love. Keep shining. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.